Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Two of the disciples of Jesus were on their way to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking together about all that had happened. Now as they talked this over, Jesus himself came up and walked by their side, but something prevented them from recognizing him. He said to them, What matters are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped short their faces downcast. Then one of them, called Cleopas, answered him, You must be the only person staying in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have been happening there these last few days. What things? he asked. All about Jesus of Nazareth, they answered, who proved he was a great prophet by the things he said and did in the sight of God and of the whole people. And how our chief priests and our elders handed him over to be sentenced to death and had him crucified. Our own hope had been that he would be the one to set Israel free. And this is not all. Two whole days have gone by since it all happened. And some women from our group have astounded us. They went to the tomb in the early morning. And when they did not find the body, they came back to tell us they had seen a vision of angels who declared he was alive. Some of our friends went to the tomb and found everything exactly as the women had reported, but of him they saw nothing. Then he said to them, You foolish men, so slow to believe the full message of the prophets. Was it not ordained that the Christ should suffer and so enter into his glory? Then, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets, he explained to them the passages throughout the scriptures that were about himself. When they drew near to the village to which they were going, he made as if to go on, but they pressed him to stay with them. It's nearly evening, they said, and the day is almost done. So he went in to stay with them. Now while he was with them at table, he took the bread and said the blessing. Then he broke it and handed it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he had vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They set out that instant and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven assembled together with their companions, who said to them, Yes, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told their story of what had happened on the road and how they had recognized him at the breaking of bread. The Gospel of the Lord. As we celebrate Mass, we begin by thinking of what we are about to do, namely to celebrate the sacred mysteries. And in the opening prayer this morning, we prayed that may your people exalt forever, O God, in renewed youthfulness of spirit, so that rejoicing now in the restored glory of our adoption, we may look forward in confident hope to the rejoicing of the day of resurrection. So we have the restored glory of our adoption. We haven't had anything new, but rather what was new, what we had originally, and what was lost has now been restored by the resurrection of Christ. So we go back and think, well, what was lost? We are in the midst of a pandemic, something that has never happened before. And there are many opinions, many views about it. Some call it a punishment from God. I personally believe it's a punishment from God. And on the understanding of what a punishment is. A punishment is essentially the difficulties that a loving parent inflicts on its wayward offspring to bring the offspring back. Not to destroy, but to bring the offspring back. If we don't care about the child, we don't care what it does. It doesn't matter to us. And St. Paul says this. He says, when you are being punished, look at it as a favor that you are not God does not regard you as illegitimate children he cares about you as his personal child if he didn't care he would let you do what you want and we, we see that in letter to the Romans as well where St. Paul says that God let them go to do as they would he abandoned them he didn't correct them. That's why the Gentiles went astray. And they behave, as he says, abominably. We think of the prodigal son. Father, give me what is my due. The father said, go. And if we think about it, that was probably because he'd been pestering his father for a while. We do the same. If, if a child wants something... We say, no, it's not opportune, it's not um, convenient at the moment. And the child goes on and on and on. We say, okay, go on, do it. Okay, But when God punishes us, it's always with love. And of course, as St. Paul again says, all punishment is painful at the time. But later, it builds us up into um, mature uh, adults and, more important, mature spiritually so we have this pandemic which has caused us to be silent. And so we are masked, we are isolated, our churches are closed. 
and we have literally been driven into ourselves so that we have more time to reflect and to realize what we have lost. And for us as Catholics, we have lost the Mass. We've lost the sacraments. We've lost the ministrations of our priests. It's happened before in history, but in particular places, never has it been globally, universally. So we go back to the question, what is the glory that we lost? When we read Genesis, God created the world, the universe. He created our world, the earth. He populated it by calling the fish, the birds, the animals out of the soil. Let the seas, he says, bring forth. Let the land bring forth. But when he created man, he took the soil of the earth and he did something that he hadn't done before. He breathed into the nostrils of the man. And so Adam, the first man, shared in the divine spirit. He possessed the divine spirit. He was different from the animals. When God um, asked him to name, to, to name the animals, he did so showing his authority over them, but we're told there was no companion fit for man. There wasn't another like himself with the divine spirit. And so God made him a companion. He placed them in the garden with the commandment that they should not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them that should they touch of it, should they eat of it, they would die. Now, the, our first parents doubted God or decided to turn away from God. We're told Adam was not deceived. So Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And immediately, we're told their eyes were opened. They understood in an instant what they had done. And they saw the consequences. They hid themselves. They hid themselves from each other by... I'm sowing fig leaves together. They hid together from God among the trees. And when the Creator came, as He usually did in the evening, and He called them, Adam said, We were afraid because we were naked. And then begins the sorry, the, the, the sorry state of our race. They were naked because they had lost the glory that God had given them, which was his divine life. It wasn't the biological life, which we have in common with the animals. That was not what was lost. What was lost was the divine life, the life that makes us like God. God in his mercy, God in his justice, because mercy and justice are two sides of the same coin, punished them inasmuch as he threw them out of the garden and he made work difficult, or rather work became difficult, and so on. But at the same time, he promised a redeemer. A redeemer was someone who would come and would buy back, redeem, take back what was lost. 
And so in the fullness of time, God himself, because it was impossible for any creature to satisfy the infinite offense against the divine majesty, God himself put on our flesh and he came in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He did many things and he taught many things. But the greatest thing that he did was to offer himself as a sacrifice for our salvation. Because it was this sacrifice that would forgive our sins and indeed the sins of the whole world. There was no other way in which it could be done. And so as Cleophas and his companion are walking along, talking, they about what had happened, the Lord said, you foolish men, so slow to believe the full message of the prophets, the full message. Was it not ordained that the Christ should suffer and so enter into his glory? So the sufferings of Christ are the means by which he would enter into his glory. And the same applies to us. It was through his cross and his passion that he entered into glory. And so he gives us, he tells us also, that we must have a cross if we are to enter into the glory. And so, as he explains to, to Cleophas and his companion, all that was in the scriptures concerning him, they still didn't understand. Their eyes were closed. Not the eyes of the body, but the eyes of the soul. It was, it was closed. Their hearts were burning, but they still could not see. It is only when they arrived um, at Emmaus and they invited our Lord to come and stay with us, Lord. It is getting late. The Lord went in and at the meal, he took the bread and then we have the Eucharist. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And immediately their eyes were opened. So just as our first parents ate the forbidden fruit and their eyes were closed, or rather, their eyes were opened. They could no longer understand divine mysteries, but they saw the state they were in. So also now Cleophas and his companion, their eyes were, which had been closed, were now opened. They saw, and the moment they saw, the Lord had disappeared. But they couldn't remain where they were. They had to go back to the eleven to say what had happened. How they had recognized him at the breaking of bread. And so we come to this question, what is this breaking of bread? Why is this so important? Why is the Eucharist so important for us? And the answer is simple, simply because it gives us life. I am the bread of life, said our Lord to the, to the people um, at Capernaum. He who eats my flesh and, break, and drinks my blood has eternal life. He goes on. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. As I whom sent by the living Father myself draw life from the Father, so he who eats me will draw life from me. Not like the bread ancestors they they're dead, but he who eats my, my flesh will live forever. I will raise him up on the last day. So the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
It is his body. But what is this body we're talking about? It is the body that he took from the Virgin, the same body that he um, preached in, the same body that he permitted to be arrested, the same body that was tried and insulted and abused, the same body that was crucified, the same body that was placed in the tomb. This is the body that has risen, and it is now a glorified body. It's no longer our flesh alone, but it is glorified. St. Paul says, we once knew Christ in the flesh. We know him like this no longer. What we now know is the glorified Lord. And this is why the Eucharist is so important for us, because it's able to give us the life that we had originally. When God breathed his own spirit into the nostrils of Adam, this is a life that has been restored to us by Christ. Initially in baptism, but which is kept alive in our pilgrimage to this world by our reception of the Eucharist. And this is why the attack is so focused on the Eucharist. Because our enemy, the devil, knows. But even so, the greatest evil God permits only because he can bring a greater good out of it. And so what we pray for is, even as we are silenced, and even as we are not able to receive the sacraments as we would, nonetheless, we pray that we will appreciate it even more when the Lord in his goodness permits an end to this state of affairs. So we don't look at the pandemic just as a punishment, which it is, but rather a call from our loving Father to come back to him. One of the, the works of the church and the mystical body of Christ is not just the salvation of her members, but also the salvation of the whole world. Our fidelity to our faith doesn't only benefit us, it benefits every other member of the church and even those outside of the church. And this is what we need to remember. And Our Lady made that so clear. She says many people go to hell because there's no one to pray for them, no one to make sacrifices for them. And so we need to keep this also in mind. So when we offer the Mass, we remember, and if we listen carefully to the prayers, we pray for all, for the whole world, all of God's children. Those who are faithful, those who are wayward. Those who are uncertain and those who are convinced. We pray for them. But above all, we pray for ourselves. Let us also pray for our nation. That even as we come out of this, that we will be more lovingly bonded together. And that we will be more faithful in the practice of our faith. So then we, by Christ's death and resurrection, have been given again the glory that Adam had. We do not see it, but we do possess it, and it will be revealed to us when the Lord calls us at the end of our earthly pilgrimage. Let us ask Our Lady, the health of the sick, to intercede for us and to pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. 
go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.